there's a bit of a sub-theme of music this morning. It seems to be inescapable. Somehow Paul Langrock and I got talking about music before the service. And uh, I recall something I heard Abby Hoffman say not long before he died at a meeting in New York. He's talking about the 60s, and he said, the drugs will never be as good, and the music will never be as good. (laughs) I don't have enough recent samples to comment on the drugs. The music point, I'm still debating. And I occasionally run into his widow at meetings in New York, and I don't bring up the topic. (laughs) But music speaks uh, so much, so much to me and so much to us, and the music this morning lifts our spirits, whether song music or the instrumental music. And as I tell you about my three affirmations of liberation humanism, I will refer to some rock music from the 80s and 90s, not the 60s. Now, humanism, whether we call it religious or secular humanism, is often thought of as primarily an intellectual process or achievement. But it is both intellectual and experiential. And what I call liberation humanism is very much like liberation theology in its, in its form, in its practice of reflection and action both. And I assert that my humanism is not so much an intellectual achievement, but reflection on experience from childhood onward, life-changing experiences, experiences on city streets and redwood forests in the presence of the newborn at the bedside of the dying, from theorizing about justice and goodness and acting to make these real. So tomorrow, today, not tomorrow, today. So you have them for tomorrow. I offer you three affirmations that are at the heart of liberation humanism that I have derived from years of reflection and action and practice. First affirmation. The nature of reality is holistic, not dualistic. Humanity on the one hand, and the universe, God, or nature on the other are not distinct realities, though many religions and philosophies would make them so. In fact, most religion is dualistic, and this includes, often, humanism, defining a higher existence or a lower one, divinity or creation, good or evil, real or ideal. The sociologist Andrew Arado has asserted that all great religions are dualistic, but I disagree. But we so often see that dualism. Religious fundamentalists will say, go back to the word of God, that's all you need, and create what I consider a false dualism between a sacred truth and everyday lived profane or secular truth. Many liberals will say, go back to nature, 
nature is pure. We have despoiled that. We must reachieve that purity, but that's more false dualism. It leads to a romanticism, finding perfection on another plane. In fact, I argue that we human beings, as much as anything else, are nature. And what we do is also nature. Rationalist, scientistic, humanists assert the primacy of scientific method over all other ways of knowing and create a dualism between one way of knowing, which they consider is absolutely right, and all others. So scientism or rigid rationalism and the romantic return to nature are false dualisms as much as is religious fundamentalism. But in short, there is no entity outside of what we call creation. That's one of my affirmations. There's no God, as this word is ordinarily understood, but there's also no absolute non-supernatural worldview that can stand outside of what we call creation in everyday life, and this includes scientific truth. In fact, there's no problem with scientists admitting, as I heard on NPR just two weeks ago, that even the strongest scientific claims are made with no more than 95% certainty. But I deny neither the reliability of scientific truth nor the value of those theisms that do not place a God outside of the world or even humanity. God is nature, says the poet Alice Walker. Process process theology means just what the word says. Creativity is a process in the world that we might label divine, but it is ongoing, and all beings participate in it. The late poet Anne Sexton wrote, God is right here in my pea-green house. In my humanism and in my ministry, human creations are natural just as natural as the wilderness. Being part of the interdependent web means that we and all that we create are indeed natural. A striking example of this, in 2004, David Owen published an article in the New Yorker asserting, based on substantial studies, that New York City is one of the greenest places on the planet in the sense of effective use of resources and land, effective use of energy, pointing out that the building where the New Yorker has its offices, if in the suburbs, would need 40 acres of parking and many millions of gallons of gas to be reached every day rather than people riding the subway and using the elevators to go up and down. And the elevator may be one of the most energy-efficient devices ever created. In his book, The Sky is Not the Limit, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the director of the Hayden Planetarium and a research physicist at Princeton University, wonders why bird songs are considered natural and the sounds of the city are not. Well, he's also from the Bronx. But he lives in lower Manhattan, And he wrote this book not long after the destruction of the World Trade Center and reflected on how eerily silent his neighborhood was after the Twin Towers collapsed just a few blocks from the apartment where he lives with his wife and children. 
how eerily silent. The natural sounds of the city had stopped. But the greatest false dualism is between divine and human. Singer Joan Osborne summed it up nicely in a song that was a hit for her maybe 15, 18 years ago, 20 years ago. I, you know, these decades are flying. The song, One of Us. The refrain goes, what if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus trying to find his way home? Divine or human, what's the difference? Second affirmation, humanity is interconnected. It is one. Now, human beings are different. We are fragmented. We are divided from each other. We never were and never will be uniform, all alike. But too often, the real and legitimate differences lead to talk of us and them. But we human beings are all one, are all connected. And sometimes we get it. We really get it. Most dramatically demonstrated when we respond to great disasters. In the past decade, the flooding of New Orleans after Hurricanes Katrina and Rita, the tsunami in the Indian Ocean, the earthquake in Haiti, the earthquake that flooded the nuclear reactors at Fukushima, Japan, after killing thousands quickly and destroying whole towns. People feel the interconnectedness and they want to do something to help. And many of us, no doubt, awoke yesterday morning and this morning with this feeling about the destruction brought by Typhoon Haiyan in the Philippines over the last few days, where we believe that tens of thousands have been killed. And we don't feel connected, however, only in times of disaster. Indeed, our connectedness is confirmed day after day in our ordinary interactions with each other. We live what the universalist theologian Clarence Russell Skinner called political or social mysticism. Skinner was a student of world religions and he was active in the first half of the 20th century. And he noted that most religious traditions had a kind of mysticism, an effort for the individual to find a union with God or the holy, to achieve some sort of individual connectedness with that which was supreme. Well, he said, what about a social mysticism? What about our connections with each other rather than an individual connection? with something outside of or beyond us. Why not a social mysticism? And in my notion of liberation humanism, social mysticism is the experience that brings us from beliefs or ideas we may intellectually assent to a fully lived faith with ourselves and other human beings. And everyday empathy is how we as individuals experience that oneness. And we experience, experience empathy day in and day out. We are able enter, to enter into the thoughts, the feelings, the experiences of others without them first fully explaining them to us or even expressing them. 
my daily experience with spouse, neighbors, friends, or others, strangers, without them first fully expressing what they are feeling, there are times I can connect and understand them, or at least sense them. These manifest that oneness. Ordinary empathy is common and significant. It is behind much of everyday behavior, including the ordinary helpfulness that everyone here demonstrates and receives day in and day out. So now a small digression into traditional theological language. The gospel of universal love is the corporate expression within Unitarian Universalism of the reality of humanity's oneness. It is the great gift of the universalist side of our tradition. Now, I did not inherit universalism any more than I inherited humanism. I learned universalism the same way I learned humanism, through experience in human communities and in solidarity with my fellow human beings, as like or unlike each other as we may be. This began with my growing up as the child of an immigrant in a racially diverse neighborhood, but the learning has not stopped, and it continues to this day. Liberation humanism is my experience clarified through faith and my faith experience clarified through experience and reflections and reflections on relationships and experiences. It goes back and forth. No dichotomy there, no dualism there either. And if we want to use a theological word like salvation, Salvation is solidarity truly and fully lived. If there is such a thing as sin, as Sharon Welch of Meadville Lombard Theological School has put it, it is that which denies solidarity. Solidarity among like people is very easy. Solidarity with unlike people at a distance is easy. But solidarity with unlike people close up is where we do our hard work and stretch ourselves and grow and fulfill our humanity. Amy Ray, who is one of the two members of Indigo Girls, wrote these words in a song called Shame on You, which they recorded, and which talks about first immigrant workers doing the hard work in society and bringing their music into our common realm. Or as one line of the song goes, the white white folks like to think it's not, but their music is in the air. But this last verse says something about where we are where we need to build solidarity, and it reflects some of the work of our Social Justice Council. There'll be blue lights flashing down the long dirt road when they ask us to step out. They say, we'd be looking for illegal immigrants. Can we check your car? I say, you know, it's funny. I think we were on the same boat back in 1694. Third affirmation, the 
The present life is the only one we know or can know or act in or upon. I'll, be, I'll tell you, I was a child and I started having trouble making sense of the notions of heaven and hell and personal immortality I was learning about both at home and in religious education classes in the Catholic Church. It wasn't working. I tried to be a good boy and continue to believe, but I know when I was sure that there was no individual survival after death. I was 18 years old, and my mother, a family friend, and I drove to Mount Hope Cemetery in Hastings on Hudson, New York. We opened the trunk of the car, and I took out the small box that contained my father's ashes, which I heard rattling around as I carried them from the car to the hole in the ground that had been dug in the grave where my father had buried his young first wife 23 years earlier. And since then, I have known that it is what we do today that matters and that love and memories are what are precious and endure. So 45 years later, after that day, my sister Maria and I opened two boxes of ashes the library of St. John's Episcopal Church in Waterbury, Connecticut. We then went outside with the rector and family members and simultaneously poured the ashes of our mother and our younger sister Susan, who had been a member of that church, into a small hole in the churchyard. The ashes and the memories are what remained of those two lives. Nothing more, but that's enough. That's enough. And we the living had gathered to affirm the meaning of these lives and our love and our memories as Maria and I simultaneously poured the ashes so they were mixed as they went into the ground. That wasn't for Susan and Mom, that was for us. At that and at every funeral, I look into the void, and it is still a void. Yet at every funeral, I honor life and human connectedness with those who are there, whether I'm a mourner or leading the service. And we honor life and human connectedness, even as we mourn the loss of a person whom we loved and the hole that leaves in in our lives, and that matters. In 2003, getting back to the music now. In 2003, knowing he was dying from an untreatable cancer, the singer-songwriter Warren Zevon, who was only in his 50s, completed an album of stunningly beautiful songs called The Wind. Now, for those of you who may not know, Warren Zevon wrote Werewolves of London, Excitable Boy, and a bunch of other songs that sort of danced on ter- between terror and joy <laughs> on that boundary. And he discovered in his early 50s that he had an untreatable cancer. So in the last few months of his life, he wrote songs and thought about life and said he wanted to do two things, see the next James Bond movie, and see his first grandchildren born. He got both. 
twin grandchildren were born about two weeks before he died. But he wrote these songs, and one of them reflects on what it's like facing, life, facing death. He said, sometimes I think my shadow's casting me. Some days the sun don't shine. Sometimes I wonder what tomorrow's going to bring when I think about my dirty life and times, while I'm winding down my dirty life and times. Well, knowing the limits of our lives, our lives are bounded by birth and death. Our time is not unlimited. Knowing the oneness of reality and knowing our interconnectedness with others, we recognize that whatever our faith demands of us, we must do it now. Paradoxical as it may seem, the knowledge of our limits gives us the power to act and to give meaning to our time, a limited span on earth. And we do have this power, and that could be a fourth affirmation. But we'll save that for another time. Knowing that he was dying, Warren Zevon wielded considerable artistic power, even as his physical powder, power quickly Faded. In her essay, the only reason you want to go to heaven is that you have been driven out of your mind. Alice Walker declares that God is nature, life is good, and racism, sexism, and economic injustice keep us from seeing how good life really is, and thus from living in joy and justice. Human beings must act against those things that threaten the goodness of life for all. We need to do it in our individual lives, our communities, and our families, and we need to do it in the larger world. And the time to do it is now, and here is where we must do it. And when we approach justice, we know we can strive for systemic change, but we will not create heaven on earth. We can, however, make things better. We can affirm the goodness and value of life. We can live in solidarity here and now. But to get back to Warren Zevon, he said one more thing not long before he died that has great value. He said, this was a good deal living. This was a good deal living. Living with all its limitations, fractures, disappointments, is a good deal. And thus I affirm these three affirmations of liberation humanism. The nature of reality is holistic and not dualistic. Humanity is one and interconnected. And the present life is the only one we can know or act upon. Affirming these, I seek the ma- to make the best of this good deal of living. Living in solidarity with you, this congregation, may I help each of you to make the best of this good deal in your lives. Living in solidarity, may we all help each other, near and far, like and unlike, to make the best of this good deal living. I have set forth three affirmations of liberation humanism. I call myself and you to live in the solidarity that makes life a good deal for all of our interconnected humanity, for us and for every one of our brothers and sisters, like or unlike, near or far, 
May we live life to the fullest. Amen. Blessed be.